Hey there, online family. Thanks so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We believe that the message you're about to hear is a powerful one. We believe that the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work. And we believe that through this message, you'll hear from Him today. So please enjoy. You ready for the Word of God this morning? All right. You know, over the years, and I've been in ministry now for 38 years, um, and so I've preached a number of Father Day's messages, Father Day's messages, if I've seen that right. <laughs> um, and this year, normally I'll go back and I'll just go through some of the messages I, I preached in, in the past just to see if there's anything of value to, to bring to life today. Um, but this time I didn't do that. And so, but what I have, I believe, is fresh and I believe will inspire you and hopefully challenge you. And when, I don't believe anybody's going to be left out in today's message, uh, but there will be special emphasis and focus to the dads among us. And, and my encouragement, I'm not going to beat you up because a lot of times that's what happens on Father's Day, Mother's Day. Usually the moms get all these, what's that word? Yeah, you got it. And all these wonderful, nice things. But then the dads get, you need to be a better father. You need to... Okay, so I'm not going to beat you up today, but I'm going to encourage you, and I may challenge you, because the potential you have is so significant for the hour that we live in, and the difference you can make, I believe, is so significant to impact this generation, especially the little ones that are being raised up right around you in your own household. And over the years, you know, I, I just think of, of what we went through as a as a dad and a mom, raising four kids in our home. And uh, there were a lot of challenges. There were a lot of situations that may not have been the most pleasant. But we can look back and we're so grateful and thankful for all that God made available to us as we tapped into him in raising kids. Because we need God's wisdom in raising children. And don't think you can do it by just reading some manual somewhere. I think this is the best manual you can read. It's the Bible. And you're going to receive insight and understanding that's going to guide you through that whole journey. Amen. So we're doing a series entitled Somewhere at the Sea. We're talking about the miracles of Jesus. And so each week we're taking a different miracle. We're focusing on it and, and seeing how faith can be inspired in us to posture us to receive a miracle in our own life. Because some people say and claim there was a day of miracles but I don't believe that. I believe we serve a God of miracles. And because the scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he hasn't changed. And he, when he walked this earth, he worked miracles. And I believe he's in this earth today. His spirit is in us today. And he's working miracles through his church, through his body, through his bride. And I believe that God is on the move even now to make a difference and to, to release the miraculous upon this planet and some people are in dire need of a miracle. And it's going to take a miracle to get them through into their next season. Amen? So, yes. Hallelujah. Amen. One of the things, let's look at this here. Um, I just wanted to thank Sam Schneider. He ministered last week. He talked about the, the miracle catch of fish. And he did an outstanding job with that message. And, and so thank you, Sam, for that. And one of the things that we often ask, or people might ask the question, where are the miracles? 
there's a man in the Old Testament, his name was Gideon in Judges chapter 6, 13. And Gideon, his family, and the Israelites at that time were being oppressed by the Midianites. And they were imposing some, some hardship upon them. And in the midst of that, Gideon, uh, in verse 13, Judges 6, 13, said to him, and, and this, the angel of the Lord came to him instead of talking to him, and he said to him, oh, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? See, sometimes people live in that place. Lord, where are all the miracles? Why is nothing happening? You know, miracles that we heard about from our fathers, from what we look in the scripture and see in the Bible. Why don't we see this happening today? Well, Gideon was short-sighted in that, and he was about to experience a phenomenal miracle in his life for his people in his time. And I believe that when God gives us the mentality where we can see what, how he sees and through his perspective, then we're going to see miracles come to pass as well. In fact, I believe as a Christian, you and I need a miracle mentality. We need to have the mentality that can believe God and be postured in faith for the supernatural because we serve a supernatural God. And you know, it's you and I that set limitations on God. In, in Psalms, I believe it's 78, uh, the children of Israel tempted God. How did they tempt him? By limiting the Holy One of Israel. Even though God was providing their daily manna, their bread from heaven, and protecting them from, from the, the heat of the desert by providing a cloud over their camp, he was doing so many supernatural thing, things, providing water that flowed out of a rock. He was doing all that stuff. Still, they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God. God wanted to do so much more for them. And, and realize this, that God wants to do so much more for you than you realize. But you need to be open to that. And I believe that a miracle mentality will help you be postured for that. Uh, again, we shared uh, a couple weeks ago when I uh, started the series in Acts 2.22. This speaks of Jesus. This was on the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching a powerful message. People are getting saved, healed, and delivered. And he addresses the crowd. He says, men of Israel, in verse 22, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Now, this was after Jesus was gone. He was raised from the dead. He was ascended into heaven, but miracles were still happening. Just because Jesus left, that doesn't mean miracles ceased, right? <clears throat> Again, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So question, do you believe in miracles? Okay. Now, if so, that's an indication that you have faith for the impossible. A miracle is when what's impossible is made possible. And the Bible is the framework for the miraculous. Do you believe that? And so this morning, again, I'm going to give you a very simple definition for miracle, and then we're going to move on. But... A miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. A miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention 
in human affairs. That's, that's so powerful. And so we want to, uh, actually, because it is Father's Day, uh, it's a day to honor not only our earthly father, but our heavenly father. Ephesians 6.2 says, honor your father and your mother. And that's the first commandment with promise. So we, we have a scriptural mandate for us in this earth to honor. And, and we need to live lives of honor. Now, it, I, I do have some humor because what would uh, Father's Day be with if I didn't bring some humor in? And this is the command for the day. It's commandment number 11, right? Thou shalt laugh at all of my jokes. Okay. So here we go. Ready? It is admirable for dad to take his son fishing. But there's a special place in heaven for the father who takes his daughter shopping. Yeah, yeah you did good. You're, you're obeying. Okay. <laughs> right. um, now, the best part of Father's Day is when your kids buy you something nice with your own money. Hey, here's 20. Go get me something. <laughs> um, uh, by the time a man realizes that his father is right, he usually has a son who believes and thinks he's wrong. Okay? Yeah, and isn't that true? Um, and then uh, I, I like this one. Fatherhood is one of life's best reasons to need a little extra coffee in the morning. Okay? Maybe not. That one didn't go over. Okay? I do have one more. This is my backup. Okay? You know you're in trouble when your children say, Dad, may your Father's Day be better than your jokes. Okay? All right. Now, now being a father is not just biological. It is spiritual. It really is. Now, my concept of fatherhood radically changed when I held my firstborn son in my arms after Deb had carried him for nine months, and she actually says it's 10 months. If you do the math, it's really about 10 months, right? I don't know why they say nine months, but at that time, before that time, I thought I had a good understanding of fatherhood from the standpoint of the duty and responsibility, but when I realized, what I realized in that moment when I actually held my son, that it wasn't just duty and it wasn't just responsibility, that it was more than that. It was trust and privilege. That God had entrusted this little life into our lives to care for, to nurture, to raise, to discipline. And that responsibility, as I was holding that little child, and, and at that time, Daniel was just whimpering, and I was looking at him. I mean, he was just born. He went through some trauma there. <laughs> and... And I'm looking at him, and he was only, what, nine pounds? No, not, not, he was not. He was, he was a light guy. Six pounds. Six pounds, 15 ounces. See, that's why I need her. Anyway, so he, even though he was just under seven pounds, <laughs> it, he felt so heavy because the weight of that responsibility began to settle in. But what a joy, what a privilege. Because in that moment, I realized, Lord, I need you to raise this son. And then God blessed us with another son, Nathan, and then two beautiful daughters, Michaela and Mackenzie, 
And, and so what a joy that is. And now to see the grandchildren, uh, to see the, your kids get married to the right one. Hopefully it's always the right one. That's... <laughs> well, we, we got some good spot. We got some good ones for our kids. But we prayed. Pastor Deb was on her face before God. And, and uh, with, with the girls, though, they had, before they even dated, they had to ask me permission. Oh, yeah. So, consequently, <laughs> Michaela never dated all through high school. <laughs> because she didn't want to tell some guy, you need to ask my dad for permission if you're going to take me out. But uh, finally, Andy asked me for permission. And he was the first one she dated and ended up becoming her husband. That's a beautiful story. Um, you can go back in the archives. I think they shared their testimony a couple years ago, but uh, they're going to come up. They're going to be ministering this summer at some point too, so you'll hear from them again. Anyway, so Father, what does it mean? It means source. It means originator. It means initiator, progenitor, provider. There's so many words associated with Father that we attribute to our Father God. But then we receive that meaning in our lives as we become dads and fathers upon this earth. Now, God promised to be a father to us. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, the scripture says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Acknowledge that. That's God's promise to you, that he will be a father to you, even though you may be fatherless, even though you may have a father wound, even though you may have had a difficult time with your earthly father, God's promise is that he will be a father to you. So you need to receive that, okay? Now today we're going to briefly look at Jesus' miracle of, of raising Jairus' daughter. Now I'm not, uh, actually on May 29th, Sam Cahart brought the message about the woman with the issue of blood in Jairus and uh, his daughter being raised to life. Uh, I can't do what he did. I mean, that was phenomenal. Go back and listen to that message, and you're going to get a whole lot more insight into this message. But I want to address this from the standpoint of the relationship of a father and a daughter, because it's Father's Day. So we're going to pick up this narrative. Uh, this biblical narrative is about the father's heart towards his daughter, which I believe is an example of our Heavenly Father's love towards us. So in Mark chapter 5, if you find your place there, we'll start at verse 21. And it starts by saying, And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. This was a, somebody that was in authority. He was a spiritual leader. The synagogue was what we would call the church. It was a place where believers met, the Jewish believers met to worship and to be taught and trained. And so Jairus, by name, he, okay, let's start with verse 22 again. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and employed him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay hands on her that she may be made well and live. And he went with them, and a great crowd followed him and thronged him about. Now, we're going to skip down. We're going to skip all over the woman with the issue of blood. You can read that on your own. Uh, but picking up this in, in verse 
um, 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now, I just want to make a note there. Jesus only wanted people that could believe God, that could stand in faith to be with him to bring about this miracle. And, and you, you'll see later where he, he drives out those that were weeping and crying and, and emotionally overcome by this situation, okay? And verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when Jesus had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 40, and they laughed at him. That always kind of troubled me, that scripture. How can they go from weeping and crying to laughing? But understand, in that day, they had professional weepers. The people would just come and they'd weep and moan and groan with you and wail and all that stuff. So that's why they just shifted from groaning and weeping to laughing and scorning. So were they there for the right reasons? Most likely not, okay? And verse 41 says, Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Verse 42, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So they were stunned, they were amazed by this notable miracle. Now, realize that there's a gap in this story, and, and, and again, we're not going to address that, but what we need to understand, that this father had to have the attitude that he wasn't going to give up just because he heard the word that his daughter had died. He could have stopped when his people said, don't trouble the master, it's not worth his time to come, she's dead. He didn't give up, he was persistent. Realize that um, sometimes what we perceive as the Lord's delay brings about a greater demonstration of his power. So don't give up. If you see delay in a miracle coming, don't give up. Uh, and when you are tempted to give up, ask God um, why he's taking so long. You, know, you don't really need to ask that. You just trust him, okay? But a lot of times people go, oh, God, why is this taking so long? Um, but uh, stay in there. So when life walks in, in that moment of death, Jesus walked in, and Jesus is life. Death was threatening his daughter's life. So Jairus sought out the author of life. Amen? In fact, John 14, 6 tells us, and Jesus said to him, he's speaking to his disciples, and one of them questioned him, show us the way. And uh, then he responded to the disciple. He said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus is the source of life. He's the author of life. And when he walks in, things change. Uh, the scripture tells us in John 10.10, 10, 
Jesus declares, the thief, Satan, or the enemy, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly to the overflowing measure. That word life is the word zoe, which literally means life as God intended it to be. Life as God experienced it as he experiences it. It's his life. So he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Now, a father's daughter is brought to life. And what's interesting about the Gospels, the, gospel actually, the Gospels actually give us three descriptions of the same account of this notable miracle. In Matthew, Jairus comes to Jesus, falls to his knees, and says that his daughter had died which is past tense, which is interesting. But Mark and Luke say that the daughter is about to die. In the Greek, it's interesting to note that the three authors use three different words for death. One means that she had died. One says that she was dying. And the other says that she was at the point of death. So what this does, and as I was trying to walk through this and, and, and study this out, it really reveals that this covers the various stages of a dire situation. Because you can be in a situation where you just think, it's dead, it's gone. Or it can be dying or at the point of death. It's a dire situation. And it's a time where you need a miracle. Now, it's a matter of trust in that moment, I believe. We do not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, we see this passage. I actually just read this this weekend, and this caught my attention. I want to share it with you. It says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, but we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That's where we put our trust. We put our trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from such a great death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So that means what you've gone through, what you're going through, what you will go through, God will deliver you, okay? So whatever you're dealing with right now, God has it all. He's got the answer ready, prepared. He's got it in control. But the real key factor is your trust. Where's your trust level? Are you putting your weight, your belief, your hope, your whole heart on him, trusting in him, trusting in the Lord and leaning not to your own understanding? Amen? Now, in the time remaining, because we're talking about trust, we're talking about the miraculous, now I want to talk about the characteristic of a father. And, and I want you to understand that what we see in the Father God is what he wants to be reflected in earthly fathers, in us. And so uh, fathers, you can write these down if you're taking notes. This, and if some of you young men that want to be married and want to be a father, sometimes this is good information for you too. So first of all, you can write this down. Number one, fathers provide a strong sense of identity and security for their children. They provide a strong sense of identity and security for their children. See, God's not looking for the perfect father. He's looking for a present one. A present one that will speak on his behalf and represent him. 
See, God wants you to represent him in a loving way to let your children hear from you. See, Jairus understood this because he was leader in the synagogue and he was leading other people and he was also leading his own family. Um, point number two, fathers discipline their children. Now, we know that Jairus disciplined his daughter because Proverbs 13, 24 tells us that he who loves his child is diligent to discipline them. The best way to hate your children is to not discipline them. You really don't love your children if you let them just get their way and do what they want to do. If you're not providing discipline, you're not providing the love that they need because love disciplines, okay? So that's point number two. And in and, and a scripture we can associate with that is Hebrews 12, 7 through 9, which says it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all of you have participated, then you are, are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers that have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? In other words, we were subject to our natural fathers to be disciplined. We should also be to our spiritual father. So now understand this though. Discipline is often viewed as abuse and punishment and not love in our society that we live in today. Discipline is not punishment. It is training. It's training. Discipline, and we hear the train right now. Training, basically you have an engine at the lead and he's pulling cars behind him on the track, okay? And so that's what training is. It's, it's taking them on the track that's taking them to a destination, okay? And so discipline takes teaching to another level. Teaching is informational. Discipline is watch me what I do, you do it. Do what I, you know, and, and a lot of times people say, um, do what I say, not as I do. No, you need to do as I do. You need to watch me and, and learn by example, okay? Uh, training is being connected to an engine, amen, on a track, like I said. Um, if your kids can see what you are doing, then you most likely well, let me rephrase that. If your kids shouldn't see what you are doing, then most likely you should not be doing it. Okay, you got that? Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, you not depart from it. And um, fathers, according to Ephesians 6, 4, were not to provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we see this confirmed in Scripture. And finally, fathers are the head. Actually, that's the third one. Fathers are the head. Jairus understood this. Realize that head does not mean boss. And there's a lot of shame and abuse that's been done uh, to people when they hear the word boss because they think of control, they think of manipulation and all that. But head does not mean you are superior or better. It means that you have first responsibility and accountability when it comes to the family. That's what it means to be the head. Mark 10.42 says, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. So if you're the head, that means you're the greatest servant. Heads and heads of families are the first servants 
like Jesus Christ became to his disciples. It's impossible to lead like Jesus Christ until you serve like him. I'll say that again. It's impossible to lead like Jesus Christ until you serve like him. And he wants you to lead like him because he's your example. The reality of the matter is that people who are too big to serve are too small to lead. See, it's okay to be the servant in the home because secure people can serve without being intimidated. See, there's nothing that I won't do to serve my wife, to serve my children, to serve my family. Um, nothing's beneath me. You know, I don't ever say, well, that's a woman's job. If I did say that, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> because I never said it before, and I, I never will say it. Um, and, uh, but there's certain things she does better than me, and I, I recognize and acknowledge that, and I let her do it. But we work together as a team. Um, so there's a lot more we could say. The, the fourth one is father's care, another quality. To care is to pay close attention to the needs of the family. And Jairus cared for his daughter's need. In fact, he went out of his way to, to, to meet that need by seeking out Jesus. And Psalms 8, 4 says, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares about your need. The Father knows what you have need of and cares about what you need. Your Father is always thinking about how to better care for you. And, and with that, we want to um, have the worship team come up here. I, I, I think God is so good. One of the things when we think about care, and I'm going to close with this scripture here, Matthew 6. 31 through 33. It says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Other translations say that the heavenly Father knows what you have need of. See, he cares for your need. And then it goes on to say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. We can say a whole lot more things about the characteristic of a father and our heavenly father. Another one is that he's compassionate. He's very compassionate. Psalms 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's compassionate. Jesus was moved by compassion. And every time the scripture notes that he was moved with compassion, he did something about the need of hurting people. Compassion moves us. Compassion moves a father to care for his children, to care for his family. One of the things that we practice in our family is we never let a day go by that we did not verbalize our love for our children and for each other. Every day, and even sometimes with, with Deb, it was, oh, ready to fall asleep? Oh, I lean over, look at her. I love you, honey. She'll look back and say, I love you, honey. But we verbalized that every day. We did that with our kids every day so that they were reaffirmed and reinforced in the truth and the fact that we love them. That's so important. At this time, we're going to give those an opportunity 
that may be here or listening online an opportunity to know Jesus. Because maybe you've heard this message and some things maybe you can connect to, others maybe not. But I believe the most important thing is understanding that Jesus Christ desires to have a meaningful relationship with you. And as we open up our hearts today to him, he's going to move as we invite him to move into our lives and move into our hearts. If you're here today in the auditorium and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are uncertain that whether you would go to heaven or hell if you were to die, I want to extend an invitation for you to receive Jesus, to repent from your sin and to acknowledge him as the source of life, the author of life, as the giver of life. When life comes in, your life will be changed. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, nobody moving around right now, I want to ask this question. Would you be willing to surrender your life to Jesus, to give your heart to him? Maybe you've walked with God and now you've, you've strayed and, and now you're in a, a place where you're ready to return and come back and make you peace with him. If you hear you and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm ready and willing to surrender my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, to receive forgiveness of sins, to welcome him in, to change and transform my life, to acknowledge your need for him. If, if that's you, lift your hand. And I believe God's going to meet you today. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone this morning say you need to make your peace with God. You need to get right with him. Thank you. I see that hand. There's others. Thank you. Let's stand up together as a congregation. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We call this a believer's prayer. And a believer's prayer is simply acknowledging what Jesus did for you. The scripture says, if we believe in our heart and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. And so this is a prayer to acknowledge him and believe in him and acknowledge that he is raised from the dead for you to give you life. Repeat after me if you would, and everyone can pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I acknowledge that he is the Savior of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to you but through him. Lord Jesus, I believe. I put my faith and trust in you. Come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and make my life what you want it to be. I believe you are raised from the dead and that you will give me new life. Just take a moment and talk to him in your own words. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Now we're going to pray for dads here today. In fact, all the dads, just come to the front. Step out of your seat, maybe might be out of your comfort zone. But as you come to the front, and we're going to close in the song, 
And I believe God's going to meet you. Just feel free to linger up here. God's going to meet you. Look at me, guys. God is for you. He's not against you. Whatever struggle you're facing, he knows all about it. And he's on your side. And he's going to help get you through whatever challenge and situation you're facing. And a lot of you are encouraging others to stand, to believe. As we join faith together as men, we take seriously the leadership responsibility we've been called to fulfill. And God's going to use you to change this community. He's going to use you to change this world because you're impacting little ones in your households and they're going to make a difference in this world. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for all of these dads. Lord, and for your commission upon their life, for the role that you've called them to fulfill, that you would use them, oh God, we take authority over every attack, every attempt of the enemy to diminish the calling, the commission that you've placed upon their life. Father, I pray that you use them, that you infuse them with a fresh outpouring of your spirit, that you would call them to a greater intimacy with you, a greater understanding, Father, of your, your will for their family, your vision for their family. In Jesus' name, that they would rise up as warriors to fight the good fight of faith, that they would stand upon your word, that they would speak and teach their sons, their daughters, and lead their households in the way that they should go, just as Abraham did. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Now repeat this after me, Heavenly Father. I surrender my will to you. I am your vessel. Let me be the dad that you've called me to be, to serve the purpose in my household. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God's purpose. Well, let's worship God, and uh, we're going to close on a song and just enter in and, and celebrate this moment as a body of believers. Thank you so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We hope that this message spoke to you in a very meaningful way and that you were able to connect with the Lord. And hey, if you made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, we are first and foremost just so happy for you and we would love to get connected with you. So if you want to find some more of our content and find out how to get connected with us, feel free to check out our website at wearerefuge.net. Be blessed and have an amazing rest of your day.